I, I tell you, I don't think it's fair uh, that, uh, you know, everybody knows I'm a police officer, and the one day they got donuts in Children's Church is the day that, uh, that I don't get to be back there. And so that just does not seem fair. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to be in God's house today. Um, man, I, I tell you, the, the message that, uh, that I want to share with you today is one that's been on my heart for a while, but I w- hadn't been in the, uh, I guess, the the place where I thought that uh, I could put it together in such a way that we need to hear this morning. And so I am excited to be able to share with you about uh, the power of God today and, uh, and, the, and the power found in the hands of God. So it's something that I hope as uh, we go through this today that uh, we're going to feel that stirring in our hearts that's going to uh, make this place feel like a revival is happening here in Beaver Dam. And when I prayed earlier, I really meant it. I, I want this church to be a lighthouse right now in this community so that... Uh, Anybody driving by this place this morning will just feel this draw in here today because they will feel the presence of God. So as I was thinking about it, um, how to deliver this message today, something really interesting popped into my mind. It happened about two weeks ago. I was down in uh, Short Pump and uh, had an opportunity to have kind of a boys' night out with my youngest son, Josiah. And, uh, he's five years old and the two of I, you know, I got three boys, and so we really don't get to uh, have that one-on-one time. We always are doing things together. And uh, had Josiah down with me at Short Pump. We went out to eat, and then, you know, we did what dads and sons normally do after they go out to eat. We went to PetSmart to pick up crickets for his lizard. And so that's just, that's just a normal f- process when you got sons. But when I got out of the car, I noticed uh, Josiah immediately came up to me and put his hand out. Dad, I'm ready for you to hold my hand. So I reached out and I held his hand just out of instinct like we always do. And uh, I thought to myself as we were walking across the parking lot of the uh, pet store area there, I thought to myself, I want to ask Josiah a question. I said, Josiah, why did you hold my hand? And uh, he said, Dad, because the bad guys can't get me and I don't know where to go. And then there was a pause and he goes, oh, and because I love you. See, he always throws that in because he knows that I'm wanting to hear that. And I remember thinking to myself, with everything that's going on in our world today, all the things that cause us stress and anxiety and and fear, I remember thinking to myself, in that moment when Josiah held my hand, his dad could beat up the biggest bad guys, which is true. I want to put that out there. Um, His dad could beat up the biggest bad guys. His dad would show him where he needed to go, and his dad loved him. All that when when I held his hand. And so I started thinking... What would it have been like to hold the hands of Jesus, particularly uh, when he walked the earth here? You could actually physically touch his hands. You know, there was a man named J.B. Phillips, and he wrote a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. And in it, he discusses how many people believe that we don't have a God big enough or relevant to our modern needs. And this is what he says. He says, our mental horizons have been expanded But our ideas of God have remained largely static. Our God-in-a-box notion limits God to such a degree that we're left inwardly dissatisfied or spiritually unmoved. Basically what he's saying here is in the absence of an understanding of God's power, an understanding that God is all-powerful, that there's nothing too hard for him, instinctively what we do is we put limits on God. And, And when God is reaching out to us, to to hold our hands, we're not reaching out to him because we're saying, God, I don't need to hold your hand. I can do this on my own. I don't need to rely on you, God. So just as Josiah reached out to hold my hand to keep him safe 
to lead the way. When we don't reach out to God, what we're doing is we're putting a limit on God's power. We're not reaching out to him. We're saying maybe we believe in God. We, we trust in his power. But yet in our anxiety and in our fear and in our stress, we are very visibly setting limits on the power of God. Now, this is in stark contrast to God because our Bible tells us that God cannot be measured or put in a box. Our God is described by words in the Bible like almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, infinite, eternal, and immortal. But no words can adequately picture the immensity of God. He's so big that we don't even have the proper words to describe his magnificence. He's bigger than our biggest words. He's grander than our grandest concepts. His power is unlimited. His wisdom is supreme. His love is unmeasurable. And His holiness is righteous. Yet so many of us are inclined to rely on our own power. We don't rely on God. We don't put our complete trust in Him. We might say, yeah, we're relying on you, God. We might even convince ourselves that we're relying on him. But deep down, we're only using God as a backup plan when things get totally out of control. Now, here's the danger in doing that. When you don't rely on God in your life to be part of your every decision, to be part of your every joy, or to lead the way when you're facing your most difficult challenges in life, then how will you recognize the moving of God in your life? How will your faith be refined or strengthened? You know, one of the first people that I had the opportunity to baptize in a church plant in Florida was a, a woman by the name of Miss Dello. And I'm very fortunate to have Chrissy and Reuben here today. Reuben, if you guys could raise your hand. Reuben was, one of our, Reuben was our first deacon down there, and Chrissy led our praise and worship. And the two of them were instrumental in helping us get that church plant going down in Florida. Now, I've got a story I'm going to share, and I didn't know Reuben was coming today till yesterday, but I had automatically planned on sharing this story, and it's a day that he really messed up, so you guys are really going to enjoy this. Miss <laughs> Della was with us, and the reason I wanted to share this story with you is because Miss Della was in her late 60s, 70s around there, and she came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior late in life, and that, that's very unusual to be able to reach out and have a relationship with God so late in life. You know, normally it happens a lot earlier in life. But Miss Della asked me a question. She said, how can you recognize God's moving in your life? So we had a powerful discussion on the need to rely on God. We had a powerful discussion on intensely looking for Him. Because if you're not relying on God and you think you're doing everything under your own power, then how in the world can you recognize when God's moving in your life? So we talked to Miss Della. She prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior in the following weekend. We had a baptismal service at our church. Now, at our church at the time, it was an old Episcopal church. The, the church body had left, and we had moved in. Now, an Episcopal church, they don't have a baptismal pool like we have here, so we had to bring in this tub. I think it was like a trough, like a big cow tub or something, and uh, it was real big. It was deep and wide, and, but not enough for everybody to get in. So we had to stand on the outside while we were lowering Miss Della down into the water. Now, Miss Della had a lot of anxiety and concern because she thought for sure that we were going to drop her. Now, I have fists of steel, and so does Reuben. We're like, Miss Della, we're not going to drop you. You don't have to be uh, concerned. You don't have to worry about this. 
So we constantly comforted her up to the point we got to the baptismal pool. And, and as we were lowering her down into the water, I pulled away my hand to begin talking, and Reuben dropped her. <laughs> exactly what she said was going to happen. And she slid down into that water. She came out. She said, I told you you were going to drop us. I realized then that Reuben did not have fists of steel. And we're going to demonstrate that there in a moment. <laughs> But after planting the church in Florida, I realized a couple things. It was an incredible experience. I realized that God was the church planner, not me. And in just three years, we would see many people come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We'd have a, a wonderful staff. We'd have a wonderful church body and have amazing experiences that just allowed us to see the moving of God in a mighty, mighty way. And even in the individual hardships and even in the trials and tribulations that often are associated with the body of believers coming together... God did an amazing work, and every Sunday when we were there and we saw the worship come together, at the end of the day, we realized that it was not under our own power that these things happened, but it was because God was there and God was moving. So today we're going to talk about the power of God and how, in Jesus, the power of God was made manifest. Now let me grab my Bible here because I left it down here. Tim, was, Tim didn't bring his Bible, and he said he needed one. I'm going to call you out there, Tim. <laughs> if you would, let's stand out of respect and reverence to reading of the Lord's Word. And let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for the reading of your word. Father, I pray right now as we get into your message today, Father, that you would take me out of the equation, that you would speak through me today, Father, that your holy word would be heard and impressed upon our hearts and our minds, and we would feel empowered and ready to do your will, Father. Lord, please be with us this time. We worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in the beginning of the book of John, we first learn that our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and Jesus was existing when matter was first created and before time began. He was before all things, we see it says in Colossians chapter 1. He was from all eternity. Secondly, we also learn here in the beginning of John that Jesus Christ is distinct from God the Father and yet one with him. We also learn that Jesus Christ is God. John tells us that the Word was God. We learn that Jesus Christ, as part of the Trinity, is the creator of all things. John tells us that by him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. And lastly, we learn that our Lord Jesus Christ is the source of all spiritual life and light. John tells us that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. John reminds us here in the beginning of this book that Jesus is God. And in the gospel message, we are reminded that God became flesh to bridge that gap that sin caused when it entered the world and separated mankind from his holy presence. And so as I thought about this scripture, I wondered, what would it have been like to hold the hand of Jesus? What would it have been like to hold the hand of God? 
Now, we know in the text, when Jesus was here on earth, he didn't have a lot of money. He was a carpenter. He had to work hard. So to hold his hand was probably a strong hand. It was probably a calloused hand. But there's so much more than that. I believe, and I'm going to take you through the text today, I believe that to hold the hand of our Lord and Savior was a life-changing experience. You know, you could tell a lot by a person's hand. You can tell when somebody shakes your hand, and I've been doing an experiment all day today, this morning, I've been shaking people's hand. You can tell that strong hand. You can tell the hands of those folks that um, uh, are shaking your hand, they're like, I, I got, I'm busy, I need to go, or, the, or there's the strong hand, the, the hard-working hand. You, you can tell a lot because essentially with our hands, Frank, are you getting nervous? I'm heading your way. <laughs> you can tell with the strong hands that uh, uh, this is a, a guy's a hard worker, you know. So I'm going to shake uh, uh, Frank's hand here. And that, Frank, take it easy, man. <laughs> Holy cow. Everybody was watching. And so Frank's got hands of steel here, you know. And so you could tell a lot by a person's hand and the way they interact, you know. And so I was thinking to myself, if you're, if you're holding the hand of Jesus, what exactly did that feel like? Was it one of those, those handshakes where you, uh, you grab someone's hand and they, they, they just want to get away? Or it was one of those handshakes that... That lasts for a while, and so I'm going to go over here and, and shake Josiah's hand. And, and let me, Josiah, can I shake your hand? See, this is the same boy that punched me in the stomach the other day. You remember that? So, so I'm going to shake Wyatt's hand. Oh, easy, Wyatt. Oh, my gosh, that's strong hands. So, Nico, let me shake your hand, buddy. Tight, nice hand. You can tell Nico works out. Ruben, let me shake your hand here. And so, oh, you got some work to do on this handshake. So, yeah. So... Now, now, there is another person's hand I wanted to shake because uh, uh, he's a good friend of mine. And uh, let me shake. Now, now Ken works out a lot. He works out a lot. No, I'm not done, Ken. So, I, I, now, shake. Can you squeeze my hand? No, seriously, can you squeeze my hand? No. <laughs> Ken, squeeze my hand. There is absolutely nothing here. I just want you guys to know that. So. <laughs> now, Amy, how do you get Ken to do any yard work around here? So, <laughs> so nothing, nothing from that hand. Um, but I'll tell you this, um, one of the best scriptures I think that illustrates the, the point of maybe what it was like to hold the hand of Jesus was when the disciples were on, on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, and then there was that storm that had uh, uh, come into the uh, sea there, and the, the disciples were terrified. It was about 2 or 6 in the morning one night, and the boat's being rocked around, and they're just absolutely terrified that the storm is going to sink the ship. And in the midst of this terror, they're out. And they're looking around, and they see this man walking on water. And the Bible says that they're terrified because they think they're seeing a ghost. So in the midst of that, they're seeing this man walk on water. Jesus recognizes that the disciples are afraid. And so what he ends up doing, he, he, he recognizes that. And he says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. So Peter recognizes that, and he goes to the edge of that boat. And he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. So we know the story we shared here before. Peter has the courage. He steps out of the boat. He begins to walk on water, heading towards Jesus Christ. He looks around. There's a storm. Uh, fear, anxiety, distress, they all begin to overwhelm him, and he begins to sink. And so then what happens, as he's sinking into the water, he reaches out to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, save me. And he puts his hand out. Now, he didn't call for help from anybody else in the boat. He didn't say, throw me a line. He didn't try to swim back to the boat under his own power. He did exactly what we should do. We should reach out our hand to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, save me. And what did Jesus do? He immediately reached down, 
grabbed his hand. He pulled us out of, out of the water. And with that one pair of hands, he pulled Peter out from certain, certain death by drowning. Every tree, one pair of hands on the valleys, the oceans, the rivers, and the sand. Those hands are so strong, so when life goes wrong, put your face into one pair of hands. One pair of hands heal the sick And one pair of hands raise the dead One pair of hands calm the raging storm And thousands of people were fed One pair of hands said I love you and those hands were near to a tree. Those hands are so strong, so when life goes wrong, put your faith into one pair of to be said about the hands of God and being put in the hands of Jesus Christ. And, you know, you think about the hands being the primary way we interact with the world. I think of my family. I've got my whole uh, cheering section up here, and each one of them has whipped me with their one pair of hands at least one time or another. <laughs> and so, so our hands help us in the direction we need to go in life. Sometimes it can be tough. Sometimes it can be gentle. And when I reach out to God and say, God, take me, lead me, I imagine what it must have been like to hold the hands of Jesus Christ. Think about this. In the book of John chapter 9, Jesus encountered a man who was blind since birth. The rabbis asked Jesus, they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, since he was blind from birth? 
And Jesus responded, neither, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus then grabbed some clay and put his hands on that man's eyes, told him to wash, and the man's sight was restored. In the book of Mark, chapter 8, another blind man was brought to Jesus from Bethsaida. The man begged Jesus Christ just to touch him. So Jesus grabbed him by the hand and led him out of the city. He put some uh, spit in his eyes and his hands. He put his hands on the blind man, and the man's sight was instantly restored. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus was teaching in the temple, and there was a woman who was crippled for 18 years. She was like this, and she couldn't stand up straight. So Jesus called the woman to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He placed his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and was able to walk proper again. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus went to the house of Simon and Andrew and was accompanied by James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a high fever. So he went up into the room where Simon's mother-in-law was, grabbed her hand, and immediately the fever left her. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus encountered a leper who came in and knelt in front of him. And the leper said, Sir, if you want to, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, and he placed it on the leper. Now, this is something that no one in their right mind would do, because, you see, leprosy is a highly contagious disease, and it was considered to be the most horrific disease of the age. But that didn't bother Jesus. So Jesus placed his hand on this leper and said... Be clean. And instantly this man was cleaned of his sickness, cleaned of his leprosy. In Luke chapter 6, the Bible tells us that whole crowds were trying just to touch him with their hands because power was going out from him and healing them all. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus was in Galilee and he saw some people carrying a dead man who was the only son of this widowed mother. Jesus saw the the hurt, he saw the the suffering going on because she had lost her only son. And he walked up to this woman and he said, Woman, don't cry. Then he walked over to the dead man. He placed his hand on the dead man and said, Young man, wake up. And instantly, the man got up and began to talk. In Mark chapter 5, a man named Jairus saw Jesus and knelt down before him pleading for his help. Jairus said, My little girl is dying. Will you come and put your hands on her? Then she will get better and she will live. Jesus traveled to the man's home. And when he got there, he saw so many people there weeping and wailing. And Jesus said to the people there, he said, Why are you making such a noise? Why are you crying? Why are you weeping? He said, The child is not dead. She's just fast asleep. Then he held the little girl's hand. And he said to her, he said, Little girl... I tell you, get up. And at once she jumped up and began to walk around the room. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and a terrible storm comes up, threatening to sink the boat. His disciples are amazed that in the middle of this, Jesus can still sleep in the midst of this storm. So they go to wake him up, and he says, Oh, you of little faith. Then he goes to the edge of the boat, and you can imagine he stands there with his hands held high, and he says, Peace, be still. And immediately the storm stopped and everything was calm. And the disciples looked at them and looked at Jesus and said, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
In Matthew chapter 14, thousands of people were following Jesus to hear his teaching. It was getting to, to the point where it was late in the day and his disciples were worried, they were stressed out, that they wouldn't have enough food to feed the so many people that were there. So Jesus says, what do you got? And they say, all we have is five loaves and, and two pieces of fish. So Jesus takes the five loaves, he takes the fish to him, he holds the bread up to the heavens, he blesses the bread, and he breaks it with his hands, and thousands of people are fed. In John chapter 11, Jesus is told that the brother of Martha and Mary, Lazarus, was sick in the town of Bethany. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he found that Lazarus was dead and had been in the tomb for four days. There was also a great many people there trying to comfort Martha and Mary because of the death of their brother. So when Martha saw Jesus, she said to Jesus, she said, Lord, if only you had been here, then he would not have died. And Jesus said to Martha, he said, Martha, your brother will rise again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. Jesus then went to the tomb where Mary was, and many others were there, and they were weeping. And the Bible says that Jesus wept. I've often pondered this part. Because I, I know that in the very next text, Jesus is getting ready to call Lazarus forth. So why did Jesus weep? He knew what was getting ready to happen. He had no reason to re weep, right? But I believe Jesus wept because as he saw Mary and Martha and so many struggling from the loss of a loved one, that he wept for them because of the sadness that they felt. You see, in their sadness... They must not have understood his power. They were putting limits on God. And so Jesus stands before the tomb. He commands the stone to be removed. He lifts up his eyes to heaven with his hands in the air. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is resurrected. He comes forth from the tomb. We serve a mighty God. We serve an all-powerful God. And what would it have been like to hold his mighty hand? You see, with one pair of hands, he made a blind man see. With one pair of hands, he touched a crippled woman who for 18 years could not stand, and she was instantly healed. With one pair of hands, he held the hand of a woman who was suffering from a high fever, and immediately the fever left her. With one pair of hands, he touched a man with leprosy who probably thought he would never feel the touch of another human being, but in feeling the hand of God, he was healed of this terrible disease. With one pair of hands, he touches a dead man being carried down a street, and the man got up and began to talk. With one pair of hands, he held the hand of a little girl who had died, and immediately so he jumped up and began to walk around the room. With one pair of hands, he broke bread and fed thousands of people, and on a sea in turmoil, with one pair of hands, he calmed the raging seas. We serve a mighty God. With his hands, he healed the sick. He raised the dead, fed thousands, calmed storm, performed miracles, and it was with those same pair of hands that were nailed to the cross for you and me. I wonder what it was like to hold his hands. 
those powerful hands that affirm His promise that as His child, He will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus will never let us go. No one can take you from His hands, He tells us in His Word. It's in that one pair of hands that we are embraced in such a way that no matter what trials, no matter what tribulations, no matter what hardships come your way, we can weather the greatest storms in the hands of Jesus. You know, one of my favorite childhood songs is he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, I'm going to go through this with you. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) I'll try It says he's got the whole world in his hand. Well, I'm going to try and sing it. He's got the whole world in his hand. No, I better just say it. (laughs) Okay. I've been I tried to get my boys to do it, and nobody would sing this with me up here. So But it says he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got my brothers and my sisters in his hands. He's got the sun and the rain in his hands. He's got the moon and the stars in his hands. He's got the wind and the clouds in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the river and the mountains in his hands. He's got the oceans and the seas in his hands. He's got you, he's got me in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. It says he's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody there in his hands. He's got everybody everywhere in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You know, you can't say that with almost accidentally singing it. I felt it coming out. But I wonder what it would have been like to hold the hands of Jesus Christ, to hold the hands of God. You see, it's important that we understand the power, the compassion, and the love that we find in that one pair of hands of Jesus Christ. Because life is not easy. The hardships, the trials, the tribulations, all those things that might come our way will try and tempt us for trying to do things on our own power. Maybe because we lack trust in God or put limits on his power. I heard a pastor in a sermon say, he said, things that matter can be hard. Things that matter can be costly. Things that matter can hurt. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Peter also says in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see, God's word tells us that there will be tough times and that we should expect it. The apostle Paul did, yet he found strength in the hands of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now the flip side of that is Paul said, I can do nothing apart from Christ. This is why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You see, our strength is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to reach out to Him, and we need to hold on tight, and we need to remember that in His Word, He said, once you reach out to me, no one can pull you from my hands. You see, the bottom line is this. When Jesus Christ has you in His hands, as His child, the world has no true power over you. The things of this world will all fade away, But in Christ, we have eternity. We have eternal life. You know, this past Friday, some of the top news articles that were being reported were this. U.S. looks in the claim of 300 civilian deaths. Girls in D.C. disappeared and no one seemed to care. North Korea is ready to conduct a nuclear test. Failure in top government circles. Plane crashes into Georgia home. FBI searches for South Carolina teen feared to have been fed to alligators, more than 100 civilians killed in Mosul airstrike, Kansas cattle ranchers struggle to recover from the state's worst prairie fire, London terror attacker cheerful on Egypt rampage, woman attacked while putting bags in car to hit Riker shopping center, and this list of news headlines went on and on and on, so it's extremely easy to see why we are tempted to have anxiety or fear or stress in this world that we live in today. In addition, I read a report that was put out by the American Psychological Association about stress. They said stress is on the rise in America today. They say most Americans are suffering from moderate to high stress, with 44% reporting that their stress levels have increased over the past five years. Concerns about money, work, and the economy top the list of most frequently cited sources of stress. Fears about job stability on the rise, with 49% of respondents citing fear as a source of stress, up from 44% last year. They also said stress is taking a toll on kids. Almost a third of children reported that in the last month they had experienced a physical health symptom often associated with stress, such as headaches, stomach aches, or trouble falling or staying asleep. Fear. Anxiety and stress seem to be something that's permeating our culture here today. But as children of God, as children of the the most powerful God, the all-high God who is the creator of all things, we don't need to fear. We don't need to have anxiety. We don't need to be stressed out because God has us in in His hands. We just need to reach out to Him and say, God, I'm reaching out to you and hold on to His hand. Everything else in this world will fade away, but God is eternal. So when Josiah reached out his hand to me when we were in the parking lot of PetSmart, and he got hold of my hand, his stress, his anxiety, his fear, all faded away, and he experienced the love of a father. That's what happens when we hold the hand of God, when we reach out to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So why do we let fear consume us? When the Bible tells us 365 times, do not be afraid, and 189 times, do not fear. This is a reoccurring message. God is reminding us we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be anxious. We do not need to be stressed out about anything because we know how it all ends. It ends in victory in Jesus Christ. We must trust in God. We must remember the strength found in his hands. We must rely on him. And in our reliance on him, be ready to see him moving in our life. 
In Genesis chapter 18, after Sarah laughed at God's promise to give her a child, the Lord said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? You see, Sarah was later on in life, and the thought of her having a child so late in life was something that she thought was an impossibility. So God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So God hears the laughter. He addresses the situation. He understands that Sarah's not laughing because she's delighted about this news of, of having a child. She is laughing in disbelief because she does not believe it's possible. Sarah is putting limits on the power of God. To have a child that late in life was an impossibility. Something she probably had dreamed of for so often, but an impossibility for God. And so God's response to Sarah is this. Sarah, is your God too small? He asks her a rhetorical question. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is no. The God who created the universe is not limited by the world he created. So what seemed impossible to Sarah was not impossible to God at all. And that is the message today. In the hands of God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. This applies to anyone who feels that they're in a hopeless situation or an impossible situation. This applies to anyone facing financial struggles. Ask yourself, is your problem too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're, you're facing an overwhelming illness. God is able to meet your needs. Maybe you're struggling with rebellious children. Do you think that's too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're dealing with a broken relationship that seems impossible to overcome. Is that beyond God's power to mend? Maybe you're hurting from an abuse or a loss. God can heal the pain. Maybe you, you look at the challenges facing our nation today and you think, this is too hard to overcome. There's too many obstacles, too many challenges to get our nation on back on track. Do you really think that's impossible for the God of the universe? Maybe you're in a marriage that you feel is hopelessly over. You see, the God who made you can renew that love. The list could go on and on and on of those things that we might try and put limits on God. But the reality of it is, there's nothing too hard for God. The, the simple laughter of Abraham and Sarah remind us that we often laugh when we should trust. We often throw our hands up in the air when we should be putting them together in prayer. We're too prone to focus on our lack of strength instead of his sufficient strength. You see, Abraham and Sarah were reminded that the God who spoke to them is the omnipotent God. He's the all-powerful God. There's nothing too hard for him. He takes those who are dead and he makes them live. He takes the sick and he heals them. He takes broken relationships and lives and puts them back together. Whatever circumstances you face, whatever trials and tribulations you face, remember that there is nothing too hard for the Lord.
circumstances. We're able to uh, plan or prepare or do something that directs our course in life. And some of us might never have experienced a moment in life where things were absolutely outside of our control. And when you experience those moments, you realize how powerful God is when you're not able to influence the outcome. When we left here years ago and went to in the ministry and planted a church down in Florida and all, the year before we left uh, Virginia to go down there, Wyatt was about two years old, and uh, he was diagnosed with this disease called Kawasaki's disease. It's felt like the motorcycle. And uh, the symptoms of it was his body turned completely red, his lips got swollen and those types of things. And it was something that uh, the first doctors we went to really didn't know what it was. And it wasn't until later that he was diagnosed with this. And we found out when the doctor diagnosed him, that as soon as the symptoms start, if we don't get him treatment within five days, he could have a heart attack at two years old. And so I remember taking him to the doctor once it was diagnosed, trying to count the days and thinking, what's going to happen to my son? Now, being a police officer, being a man in the military, 
there's been moments in my life where I, I'm the one who comes in and, and, and has those controls in those places. Generally, at the end of the day, what I need to happens, happens. But this is one of those circumstances that I had absolutely no control over. And so I remember praying hard, God, protect my son. And so Misty had him at the hospital. The doctors were checking him and doing all that they need to do. And then I had to go get TJ. So I went and got TJ. And then TJ and I prayed on the way back to the hospital. We prayed and we prayed and prayed. And when we got there, I was very thankful that the doctors had treated him. And almost like instantly, because the treatment, the way it works, it was refixed, basically, by the time I got back. But for that moment in, those, in the car, I just remember feeling so helpless and how much I really needed God to intervene in my life. And so what I would encourage you when we ask that question, how can we recognize God's moving in our life? Find it in your heart to reach out to him, to hold his hand tight, and truly rely on him. Don't make him your backup plan. Make him your plan and rely on God's moving in your life. Now, in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to go into our time of invitation. And I'll share with you about my friend Tim here, who sang for us today. About 10 or 15 years ago, Tim sang for this church here in this auditorium, in the sanctuary here. And after he sang, I went out to Tim in the parking lot here, and I said, Tim, do you have a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ? And it's not because he was all out of whack or anything. It's just because I knew that uh, I like to ask people that question. And so Tim was standing out in the gravel parking lot there, and he said, you know, I, no, I don't. He said, because I've got too many things to work out in my life. I've got too many issues right now, and I'm really not ready to bring all this baggage to our Lord. And I said, Tim, that's backwards. I said, you, you come to Jesus with all your baggage. He's the one who makes you clean. You, don't, you can't do it under your own power. And so right there in the gravel parking lot behind the church, he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Tim has been here multiple times to sing with us. He traveled down to Florida with us and, and sang at the church there. And we got him a, a really cheap hotel that cost like $20 a night at a, at a uh, uh, truck stop. And the trucks were pulling up by his door. <laughs> so that's all we could afford when we were down there playing at church. But I share that story with you because I, I want you to know if you're here today. And I pray that uh, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart that uh, giving you the strength and the courage to step out of the pews here or the aisle, to come forward in this church and declare in front of everyone that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and let this church celebrate with you. It will be the most important decision you'll ever make to reach out just as Peter did when he reached out to Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, save me.